absolutely phenomenal. And how do you put statistics on this, Phil? This isn't measurable because this is the art of human. I think there's tears in your eyes, Raymond. Welcome to Soccer in Theory. It's August 11th. I'm joined by Mark Adam Jay and myself, Ashwin Bajaj, to discuss the world of football. We're coming off the first weekend of the Premier League. Also, we also began the German League and French League. And the following weekend, uh, we also the Spanish and Italian leagues commence as well. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we will discuss, amongst other things, the start to the season, discussing Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool, Man United, and also look towards PSG and Bayern, how they began uh, their campaigns. At the end, we'll also discuss the popularity of the Premier League, how that's become a hegemony of football in a larger sense. But before we begin the analysis of matches, Perhaps we should start with how we're watching these matches and the, the two broad mediums that have become popular in contemporary times, that streaming versus platforms. Mark, what are your thoughts about this? How do you see, do you see these as, as there to stay or do you imagine different possibilities of how people watch soccer and how do these also play into the global appeal and of the, how these European leagues have spread to the, rest of, to the rest of the world and have almost dominated their local leagues because of the ease at which, through which uh, one is able to now watch these through the internet? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is the first year I have a television in many years. So I'm using, um, I'm using amongst others, Rayon's login to watch through Peacock. And then I'm using another friend's login to watch through the USA network to watch the Premier League matches. I'm used to watching on the bootlegging websites, just watching on my computer. That's the first year. Actually, I remember Rayon, <laughs> I remember Rayon, like we were watching the Champions League one year when I was visiting him at University of Virginia. And I was showing them this football origin where you can watch pretty they upload matches pretty much immediately for free. But the advertisements were so lewd and disgraceful. And they were just flooding his computer, like 10 pop-ups of you know pornographic images. And I think then and there he decided to buy a subscription. So yeah, it's interesting because BM Sports, I don't know what the deal is with BM Sports, but I remember last year they we're in a contract freeze in the US. So you couldn't even get BN Sports unless you had Verizon, I think. So I couldn't even watch, you know, even if you had, you know, Xfinity, even if you had a premier package, you couldn't watch BN Sports, which was, I think, a big mistake because I think they were holding out for negotiations um, when they still had Messi and Ronaldo. And then they lost Messi and Ronaldo. And then all of a sudden, you know, La Liga wasn't nearly as popular. So at first, well, in terms of your question more specifically, at first I was thinking Peacock, you know, Peacock is NBC's thing. At first I was really bothered because you have to pay for it. So, you know, if you have a cable, you have to then, you can't even watch the match. You then have to pay for something additional 
And it's like, you know, people that are technologically inept or older are kind of frozen out in a way. I remember my dad was just very confused. Like, he's like, how do we even navigate this? That being said, annoyances aside, it's pretty fantastic because they upload a replay of the match, you know, within minutes of the match ending. So you can just watch, you know, like I watched the Arsenal match and then the replay is mm-hmm. up there. So, so that's really nice. Um, so the ease at which the, yeah, the ease at which the Premier League can be seen around the world and like the seductiveness of the, of their, yeah, of the whole production is, 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 is a factor. I mean, they try to do this thing, you know, like they'll go to local American bars and show people screaming and yelling and trying to show the culture yeah. in the U S so it's a bit, you know, it's not my cup of tea a bit, but they're doing their best to try to make it like, you know, a major sport in the U S. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is nice to watch it on a television, though. I think, are you watching it on the bootleg site still? Uh, yes, I don't know if I should admit <laughs> to that. But, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was also thinking, like, when we, okay, so there's institutional broadcasting, which is what these various platforms are, uh, BN Sports and Peacock and ESPN and so on. And and, and you pay for the subscription. They're not exactly cheap. They're not unaffordable, but if you think about it in terms of how that currency would translate into other currencies of person watching in Brazil or India or something, um, they would still need fairly substantial investment to actually watch these games especially now when most of the leagues are broadcast in by different television networks. It's not oh, yeah. all one. You just subscribe to ESPN and you have everything. But just playing off that, if you want, that, that dialogue or even dialectic between piracy versus institutional um, streaming which or, or platforms, I think I'm just wondering how strict these... You always hear of these networks clamping down on piracy, right? Um, trying to remove those sites and links and so on, which obviously they, they, they do. But I also wonder whether they don't mind it happening at a certain level. Mm. Because once, once you get used to watching something, and of course, n- absolutely no question, the, the, the enjoyment, the experience that you have on the platform, you can keep replaying, fast forwarding, watching it again, looking at highlights in, in, in the manner that you want. It makes it a wonderful experience. Um, so once you're actually used to it, once you're, you know, once the Premier League or one of these football leagues has become a part of your life, then it seems like you may invest in it eventually. So I don't know if these television networks actually clamp down on bootlegging and piracy as much as uh, is made of because it's obviously what it does is it's generating a habit right and once you have a habit of watching one of these soccer leagues for nine months out of a year in a year every weekend you automatically it's 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 popularity right it's the numbers versus uh them trying to make money out of each and every customer so it's there's an interesting uh, sort of interplay over there, uh, which I suppose could be broadened to thinking about anything related to piracy, whether music or film or and so on and so forth. 
Okay. I don't know how, how I, I don't know how I agree with you. I don't think they're really clamping down that hard simply because it's still available. Right. It's right. available at the same domain for this exactly. number of years. <laughs> like HD quality within five minutes of the first half ending, you can count on it being there. <laughs> All right, going on to the EPL. Um, obviously, we have to start with the top two. And I think. So Ars- Arsenal and who? <laughs> Sorry, not top two of the relegation <laughs> battle or for, or for Europe, but um, the top two uh, contenders. I think they, everyone expects them to still be fighting it out. Hopefully, we're proven wrong, and maybe Conte and Tuchel can can uh, conjure something which will challenge that dominance. But if we are to just go back to the top two of the last four years, there's something interesting that both of them, these teams have done in relation to transfers is they've gotten rid of a couple of wing forwards, if, if one can call mm-hmm. them that. Mane, very importantly, for Liverpool and Jesus and Sterling in City and have brought in two very similar, in a sense, strikers, right? These very tall, classical forwards, mm-hmm. Haaland and Nunes. And both of them did quite well this, this, this weekend. How do you see that playing out? What, do you, what did you think was interesting huh. in City and Liverpool? I mean, I know it's just been the first week, but any thoughts on that? Yeah, I had a lot of thoughts on the City match because at first I was wondering, why did they even sign Haaland? I was wondering how much Pep had to do with it versus it was a strictly a commercial move versus if they just signed him strictly so that another team couldn't have him. But they did, they, did that, try, they did try to sign Kane last time as well, right? That's true. That's true. They tried to sign Kane, but Kane, I could see much more playing within their system. He's much more, he's dropping back. He's getting older. I mean, Holland is wonderful. I'm just thinking if Holland goes to another team, top team, they're all, all of a sudden maybe one of the best teams in the world, uh, impossible to defend. Whereas I was watching City play, and I had a lot of thoughts on their game. And of course, Holland scored two goals. And if you've been watching him in Germany, and even, even before that, before he signed for Dortmund, he's pretty much impossible to defend. I mean, you, you, he's. I think he's... Maybe I'd like to see him in a foot race, but I think he's maybe the fastest player in the world over like a 30 yard, you know, stretch. He's his movement. Mbappe might, yeah, yeah, but it's interesting. Like, it's he really might be. He's so powerful, and his left foot is so. I mean, I don't remember a player quite, quite like him. Um, and but I'm watching City play, and they they haven't adjusted their style of play to suit him at all. There's, in other words, if you watch him play versus Dortmund, I mean with Dortmund, he he needs to be running in behind, and once he's running in behind, he's unstoppable, because he he's faster, he's stronger, and he can play with both feet, and he can shoot from 30, 40 yards. And that's um, how he scored the second goal as well, right? Going in behind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that gives City an extra dimension now. That whereas they kind of struggled a bit versus West Ham for periods, but. And West Ham was just getting back into the game. And then they have a random break. And it doesn't have to be a beautifully intricate break, like most of City's goals typically have to be. And they just simply hit in a through pass that, you know, me or you maybe could have played into him. The typical through ball 
that you see 15 year olds play just okay 40 yards straight pass into the channel and um he's gone and so that's a new dimension they didn't have that last year um or really since pep took over um the thing is with respect to the way that city are playing is that they have these inverted fullbacks which ram was making a big deal of you know and so they get Kinsella and they get Kyle Walker very high up the field. And so they're essentially playing with, when they have the ball, they're essentially playing with two center backs and then three central midfielders. And then Gundogan and De Bruyne are floating in both like the number 10 roles. And then on front of that, they have three forwards essentially. And what that does is it obviously controls the midfield, but pretty much any team in the world is just going to drop back against that. They can't do anything else except drop all the way back. And what ends up happening is there's no space in behind any longer because West Ham is thinking, okay, let's just get behind the ball. And all of a sudden West Ham is defending within 30 yards of their goal. And there's no space at all for Holland to move into. And he's trying to make all of these clever little runs, but essentially there's nothing, there's nowhere for him to go. So if you look at the amount of possession that city have versus the amount of chance that they're generating, I don't think they're really generating very many chances um, in terms of as many as you might think is actually happening. So it, with the inverted fullbacks, like Giacomo is a wonderful player. Obviously, you want him on the ball. But Kyle Walker is not very good on the ball. And so why is he standing right in the middle of the field, forcing the entire team to go back, compressing the space that Halan goes into? Because I think the headline is Halan scores two goals with ease. But really, that's... If you think about City having 75% possession or whatever they had, they didn't generate many chances. Like, the, if those two chances didn't emerge, it could have, the storyline could have been very different. Alon right. is not working out. So, it, it's, it, so I, I would have liked to see, because I'm thinking Pep, you know, he, I, I'm trying to remember, you know, in, in Bayern, he had Lewandowski in his absolute prime. I mean, Lewandowski is an old man now. And yeah. Lewandowski wasn't, you know, he wasn't able to really do much with him. He had Zlatan in Barca and he got rid of him right away. So I'm thinking, what does he, what does he do with these forwards? Why does he not, you know, I was watching the NBC thread and they're even saying, look, city just need to like lose the ball. They need to lose the ball every once in a while, just so that the other team can get the ball so that they can hit Halan. in like, you see Halan, you just hit it over the top. It's, you know, it's, there's a good chance he's just going to score, but they're trying to do all these intricate things. So I think, I don't know. I think that, I know I'm rambling a bit, but this inverted fullback thing is it, it it's very like problematic for me because it looks beautiful. Oh wow, they have the ball. Look how many central midfielders they have. But at the same time, they're so vulnerable to a counterattack. There's everyone is on the field, and at the same time, they're shutting off the space for Halan to move into. So I'd get the sense that maybe a team that like West Ham is a pretty good defensive team. But you get the sense that maybe a better a better team, if the city is still trying to play like this, you know, learns how to fill the spaces and then just breaks a counterattack against Ruben Diaz. You know, it's it's. I, I just sense some fragility um, there, and I, I'm a little confused by Pep's tactics. Well, I suppose that's always um, the thing with Pep's tactics, right? I mean, this is why he he's not a very good manager for cup games or for cup football. I mean, he's more of his success over the years has been more of league success. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Haaland, if he has managed to 
at least force. I mean, we don't know. We'll let us see how he progresses. It's only been one week. Force a little bit of change in Pep's tactics. Give it a new dimension. Like right, you said right now, right? That it's it's often once you get a hang of or once a team is able to absorb a certain pressure, uh, then Pep doesn't really have many ideas. This gives them a new right. dimension. Let's just see. Maybe it won't fit the system that Pep um, is famous for, but might give them something more direct, right? When they're struggling a goal down, maybe someone just to, you know, hoik the ball to and hopefully he does something. And the other thing with Haaland is he's strong. He's a really, really <laughs> strong player. I mean, I've seen for when he played for Borussia in the last couple of years, you try tackling him, you know, you often, and the only other player <laughs> I've seen that happening with is Messi, even though he's so much yeah. shorter. <laughs> There's a really strong core, which which sort of doesn't get daunted or displaced no. by by rough tackling or by shoulder barging or anything like that. Usually, the defenders find themselves um, uh, hard done by any of those tackles. And another thing is another thing is when he stuck up when he stood up to take that penalty. Mm-hmm. That penalty was ridiculous inside of the post, but it looked like he knew exactly where that was going. He looked completely... I mean, if he missed, okay, but from his body language, he looked completely in control of that situation. And City has had huge penalty issues. They've tried basically... For some, I mean, you would think De Bruyne would be a wonderful penalty taker, but for whatever reason, he's not. They've tried Gundogan. They've tried Sterling. They've tried Mares. They've tried Jesus. I mean, it, for a while, they were talking about Ederson was next <laughs> Line. But what I so also now, really liked is he he took it on like I won this yeah, I'm exactly. gonna take it. And I don't know whether exactly. he is Pep's choice or I mean whether you know he he's now the penalty taker for City. Hard to know. And maybe he yeah. will now that he's had success in his first um, attempt. But it, it's good to see someone taking on the responsibility, especially it's your first game, it's your first league game, and and um, you're. Up to the task, basically. He looks up to the task. But I think in terms of maybe if we segue to Liverpool, I think there's a huge... I think that there's a huge golfing class this year. That said, I mean, we're talking about City's vulnerabilities just to really say something. I think the golfing class is really tremendous because I thought Liverpool... I mean, obviously, they only got a point against Fulham. I thought they've struggled. I thought they really struggled. Um, they looked, I mean, Fulham is not a particularly good team. Um, right. Obviously, you know, j- just being just coming up, and um, they look bad, man. Like they, they, they have this midfield three of Henderson, Fabinho, and Tiago. And so I don't know how old Fabinho is, but Tiago and and, and Henderson are up there in their years. Neither are particularly right. mobile mobile players. And mm-hmm. as far as holding midfielders go, Fabinho is not a particularly mobile mobile player either he's very kind of he reminds me of more of like a Gilberto, of Gilberto from Arsenal's mm-hmm. days it's much it's much more of you know tactically knowing where to be at the right moment they just look so slow and in, in in midfield and whereas City well, nine times out of ten if you press City you 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 regret it or you can only maintain it for five minutes they play right through it with ease fulham was pressing liverpool and liverpool didn't know what to do they had to just continue playing long continue playing long and at front they had 
you know, they had Mane, Diaz, and Firmino. These are not players that just want the ball hoofed up, you know, to try to win, to try to win a header or get a second ball. So they had to bypass the midfield, um, and it just looked bad. Like it, it looked just completely, you know, way too competitive against against Fulham. Um, and I know Liverpool's a little bit more of a grinded out team um, than uh, than City, but it, it just seems like they're. I don't know. It just these players seem, just seem tired. They didn't upgrade the squad in the same way. I think they needed like a real new, a new yeah. Like I think Rand called like a ball, like a water carrying central midfielder. Yeah. To, you need one to run. I mean, Thiago is an elegant player, but he can hardly move. Henderson at this point, really, I can't yeah. see him. I can't see much of his merits. They brought on Milner. You know, He's I mean, Milner quite is quite old. Yeah, he, he, it's not. It should be ceremonial. You bring on a player like that, but they're bringing him on like, okay, James, you know, and he's getting, he's shielding very aggressively and throwing elbows and kicking people. It just seems like there's something wrong. And I'm just, and Van Dyke, you know, he got done up by Mitrovic and that, if, to give, to concede the penalty. And I think that's the only time I've ever seen him like, mm-hmm. <laughs> being beaten, you know? So I'm just thinking there's a bit of a, just a bit of fragility in in that team. I think they might really struggle. I think that number two spot might be more open than, than it has been in years. I mean, I don't know what you think. Right. And, of course, the year before last, they really struggled, I mean, with Van Dyke being right. injured. But like we discussed um, time and again, that this tactic, this strategy of high-pressing, it requires young players who are really right. up to it. Small drop, whether it's because, okay, they tried really hard to win last year and if it weren't for a pretty extraordinary City comeback in the last 15 minutes, they would have won the league, something that they're obviously desperate to do after they tasted success a couple of years ago. Um, Small drop, a slight drop in quality or in commitment even, and of course, age catches up and you can see a very, very different team. It's not a young man's strategy it's not a young man's tactic you need to be really really committed and um willing to run your heart out if if that is to work obviously they've gotten rid of money or money left after so many successful years and nunez is going to take he's not exactly the same player but he's he did well when he came on he Um, did yeah but it's going to take some time to adjust right for the front three to form a certain partnership, a link between them, which will be successful in the long run. Though, and, and it, let's see, I mean, it's been only week one and, you know, it, they, I know they didn't do very well in the preseason, even though they were playing a lot of kids then. But you're right. They haven't really upgraded their squad. And it's the type of style that when it's, when it's going well, they can really dominate and make the opposition look hopeless when it's not you're really surprised at how a team that was doing so well last year can can be abysmal but of course those maybe as abysmal it's a little early to be using that word what about nunez? Word, but i i like nunez i like nunez a lot i mean i like his his movement but the thing is he's he doesn't strike me as a as a player that wants to be playing like Holland in a in you know, in just the final third, where they're just shifting the ball and he's making these little runs, I think he wants a bit of space to run. He's another athletic player. He's very crafty on the ball. And Liverpool, when they're playing against these worst teams, it's okay. Like 
there's two elements to Liverpool's play. On the one hand, sometimes they try to just press. They're pressing like mad, and they want to turn the match into a shootout. And they trust Van Dijk in the back, and they trust Matip, and they trust Allison, and they say, you're not going to score on us, but if we turn it into a fist fight, we're going to score on you. So there's these frantic periods in the match, but like you just mentioned, the age of the squad makes it so they can't really sustain that um, in the same way that like a young Dortmund team could for top or the Liverpool five years ago. So then they bring in Thiago and they try to get this ball playing center midfielder. And so the other teams collapse defensively and Liverpool just seems like they don't have that many ideas when the other teams collapse, they try to just whip in crosses. Basically they double up on the wings, Trent's whipping it in or Henderson's whipping it in or Robertson. And that's going to be good for Nunez because he looks like he, he likes to attack the ball. He like keeps making those runs. But the thing is, for me, that's where Mane was the key, the key element to the team because he wasn't just someone who dribbled past you or ran into space. He was really crafty and he scored all of these goals in very tight spaces and he really pulled them out of a lot. Liverpool's matches, if you watch, are very tight often. They win a lot of very tight matches very and Mane tight. was just a sort of a very, he's just like a footballing sage. He knew where to go. He had two feet. And whereas Diaz is absolutely world-class, it, it strikes me he just wants a bit more space to, to play in, um, like, a, like a younger Ronaldo type of thing. He just likes, he wants to beat people cut in. Whereas Mane, he's just going, he just, you just knew he's going to pick up that ball in the box and score. So unless Nunez is really a 20-goal scorer right off the, right off the hop, then... Um, I think there's going to be – I think they might just be in a slugfest this year. And the players are tired, man. They played how many games last year? They made it to the – they played the maximum possible right. matches last year. They made it to the final of every competition. They right. lost the Premier League in the final five minutes. So these players have to be tired, and they're not – aside from Diaz and, and Nunez and maybe the wingbacks – they, these aren't people that have better years ahead of them. These are Salah's 30-30. Firmino looks washed up, Henderson, Thiago. So, yeah, I, I think they could be in a bit of a slugfest this year. Well, let's see. I mean, uh, I guess we should know where the how they've shaped up as a team, at least, you know, after maybe three or four weeks. Uh, right. Although the early signs are there from both sides, from City and um, Liverpool City seem to have consolidated a little more than Liverpool seems to have. But anyway, time will tell. Um, United, I know that's, I mean, before I wanted to go back to if you feel that their second place is up for grabs, we'll have to talk about Tottenham and Chelsea. But before that, I think United was the genuine surprise, right? Obviously, I don't know, maybe it's just that you... Were you surprised? Well, not, I mean, what I was surprised by is that it seemed like we haven't had a three-month hiatus. We have, we don't have yeah. a new manager, and well, the players are basically the same. But it doesn't seem like the you felt that that was the last season was when they bottomed out in a sense. But right. um, no. first game at home. Ronaldo's not playing. Of course, he didn't help the whole preseason process, but he wasn't playing. So whatever Ten Hag has been working with in the last three or four weeks during the friendlies, uh, that 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 version could be uh, that could version could be seen. And 
It really wasn't good. It really wasn't. <laughs> I mean, okay, I I went back and watched the replay or what I could of the replay, but I I was I was working on. Uh, I think they played Sunday. I was working, uh, you know, work at the bookstore, so I tried to just throw on, throw on the stream for a second, and uh, and I saw. Two nil down <laughs> right when I opened the stream, <laughs> and I was just like, "This is." I wasn't surprised at all. You know, it's like, it's like when you have a, you know, you have a disappointing friend that keeps letting you down and right. keeps letting you down and keeps letting you down. And you think you're part of your fantasy. You hold on. No, no, not this time. They're a good person. No, no. But then you see they've done it again. They've done it again. You know, and they're just so bad. They're so bad, and I think this is the first year in um, – I mean, if they didn't have a new coach and if there wasn't energy around the new coach and if they don't bring in De Jong, this is the first year in which you look at the players and you think, look, this isn't even a good squad. You can't imagine – I think they have the highest or second or third highest payroll in, in, the, in the world. And if you imagine me and you building a team from scratch and we can make <laughs> that money, we, would, we wouldn't pick any of these players. I mean, these players are, are bad. They're, these players not are, not, are not, they're, yeah, they're not good. Um, and they have, there was a lot of excited, excitement around Bruno Fernandez, his first season. But again, this was a guy, he, he really only had one successful year in the Portuguese league. He came over, he was very hot for about four months. And since then, for both Portugal and club, he just doesn't look particularly good and he doesn't look particularly interested and he's slow. And so defensively, it's a bit of a shambles and they have Rashford who really, I don't know what happened to him because he was a really exciting player three years ago, but he seems to have either peaked or something psychologically. He's just not, I don't think a player people are afraid of playing against. They have Jaden Sancho who again was very good for Dortmund, but he's a very much, hot and cold player he will go long stretches for Dortmund where he doesn't do much and then it's like he's a confidence player and the city's not going to give I mean United's not giving him any confidence not like he's blistering pace or anything like that he's he's pretty slow himself for for an attacking winger so they have these I mean and they played Ericsson in a false nine I mean this man is I mean I've never even seen him play in a false nine I, I could be naive there but I mean it He's, he's also passed his prime. He's an elegant player. I mean, I'm sure we all like him and with the heart issues, we all root for him and everything. But this is not an Ericsson, Sancho, Rashford front line with Fernandez, McTominay, and Fred behind them is not a team that even bright. Yeah, go ahead, man. I mean, I just don't, the last thing I want to say is I don't think Brighton is going into that match with any intimidation. I don't think they're going into Trafford thinking, oh, we have to. No, they're thinking, look, on our day, if we play our best, we're probably going to beat them or at least be very competitive. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. I mean, when you do not inspire any fear out of past reputation, and none of your players seems to inspire that. The one thing that if a new coach comes in, usually what you expect is a tightening, right? Mm. The flair, the build-up, the attacking play, I think that's a second stage of what a new coach is able to achieve. I think the first thing that any coach, whether it's Valverde in Barcelona, not a good example in terms of success, but at least when he came in or when Conte comes yeah, yeah. in or Arteta, which we will talk about more in detail, but 
there is a certain solidity, right? A defensive solidity, which you have to ensure because in the end, we know this, the best teams or the most successful teams always have the best defensive records. It's very, very rare to outscore the other team, even if you're a Barcelona, Pep's Barcelona. It's usually you still need a very solid defensive core. Both goals were too easy. Like it's not like something a 40-yard freak strike or an own goal or some something which is slightly freaky. It was very easy passing lines, you you know, training ground moves, which would suddenly work out and the guy finds himself em- empty, uh, looking at an empty net and he just has to pass the ball in. In that sense, Fred and McTominay, I mean, everyone's spoken about how not up to the task they are. But more than anything else, that doesn't provide adequate cover for either going forward or for your defense. Harry Maguire, I saw a cartoon recently where Ronaldo is saying that my statue plays better than him is, is, is <laughs> not far from the truth. He's had enough chances. It's just not worked out. And I really think the only reason why they play him is because they paid a lot of money for him. So, you know, one day he will put in a performance which is adequate. They have Brentford away this weekend, which is, I mean, Brentford showed some grit this weekend. I mean, the past weekend, they managed to come down from, come back from two goals down to uh, sneak out a draw against Leicester. And after that, Man United play Liverpool. So it's it's a a stern test. Like, Ten Hag probably knew this. He'd have to hit the ground running. There's not a lot of time or room for adjusting. So it's going to be a stern test couple of weeks for oh well a whole season but at least the next one month or so we'll have a pretty good sense of where united is and what they may achieve i think they need yeah. de jong still let's see if that happens um who knows <laughs> it, just, to- it, just, it just looks bad man it just it doesn't look like even when barcelona looked bad in the first half of last season in the back of your head, you're thinking, okay, look, this is Barcelona. They'll get in a different coach. They'll tweak a thing or two. They, the quality is there. The quality is there. But Manchester United have been spending money like like madmen for, you know, since Sir Alex left. And there's not even, like, a centerpiece to the team. Right. I mean, they're trying to bring in De Jong because they're trying to say, okay, we can build around De Jong. But De Jong right. is is about to get into a lawsuit, <laughs> which we'll probably talk about just because he's, I mean, he, he wants to be paid at Barcelona, but in the back of his head, I'm sure he's thinking, I do not want to play for Manchester United. Even his old coach, Ten Hag is the one who made him. And even that he's thinking, I'm not going there. I don't care. I'll be, a, I'll become a pariah of Barcelona. I'm not going to that team because it's a, it's a nightmare situation. They're simply, we've, and you mentioned. We've talked so the, often about a player, a good player wanting to go to winning projects like right. Messi and Ronaldo, that's that's what they need, right? A winning project, whatever that means. I mean, presumably you have a good bunch of players who can win trophies or compete. And that's right. I don't think De Jong sees this as a winning project. I mean, forget winning the league, which is obviously a difficult task when you haven't done it in 10 years. But even coming fourth or third or even yeah, competing they- at those levels, it's not happening here. They, they, they have. I mean, it's we don't have to talk about it too much, but they have so mismanaged their team. 
every single like every i remember Mourinho. we're arsenal fans they Mourinho paid huge money for alexis sanchez when it was apparent to the world the man's knees were gone remember the the scissors he used to make for arsenal he makes these violent scissors and i'm watching as someone with knee problems i'm thinking man what are you doing like your leg your cartilage is gone he goes there i mean they've made so many bad 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 signings and they continue to do it and i think you're right i think there may be a tipping point where unless i don't know maybe they're commercial but even commercial has to be being affected by this at this point because who really what young kid is really looking at that product and being like oh i want to be you know a united fan so i think they may be reaching a tipping point soon where they're not even going to be able to be attracting the top players even you can't even outpay because who would want we've seen it they tried to they tried to get halan and he chose dortmund it was just between united and dortmund and halan chose dortmund and so you're seeing, like, they, I don't, I think they'll, I think it's going to be, maybe they'll prove us wrong, but it, it, you can see this team becoming a mid-table, a mid-table, like a Leeds type of fiasco type of situation. I mean, it's just bad from top to bottom. It's a rotten core. Well, um, a team which has experienced this exact doldrums, these exact doldrums for a few years, um, with Wenger and even after, is Arsenal. <laughs> and I talked about defensive solidity as Arteta's main... Well, that's, I think, what he's managed to bring, right? A certain rigor in and a certain discipline to the team. I don't think they've really... I mean, both in the last season and the first game, it's not like they offer something exciting. They have some good players who, in phases do have some good positions that they occupy. doesn't always feel like it'll actually eventuate into something. What did you think of that performance? Very good start. I mean, the away victory to Palace, not mm. always been an easy place mm. to go to for them in the last few years. They managed to carve out a victory. It was a confident performance. doesn't have the flair, but I mean, that's not been Arteta's thing anyway. So what did you think right. of the match? I thought they they started the first 10 minutes, even with me and my cynicism, I was very moved. They're clearly working these passing these passing patterns, and Palace could not cope. I, I don't think really anyone in the world would have been able to cope. They were absolutely flying. Jesus looked just like he was chomping at the bit to get out there. And the the where he megged the player and then um Martinelli missed the easy chance. I mean, that is, we haven't seen that kind of football from, from Lacazette. I mean, it's like a, it's night and day in terms of the energy in the front. So I was really excited um, about that. I mean, we talked about it last week, like Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, Jesus. Yes, young, unproven to a slight degree, but that's, I mean, if you take away the, you know, the top three teams in Europe, I mean, that's basically as good as it gets. I mean, defenses are are not happy to be to be to be going up against against them. So, in terms of, you know, that frenetic, fast passing play that Arteta likes to figure, it looks good. The thing is, it's what you mentioned last week. Are we actually going to see Saka and Martinelli and Jesus convert their chances and become the next level player? Because if not. What happens will probably what hap- what happens will continue to happen, which is 
they look impressive, but they don't necessarily score in those periods, those periods of ascendancy. And then they revert back. There's there's a lethargy in the middle of the pitch with Xhaka. And a better team than Palace, you know, hurts them. I think the 2-0 flatters Arsenal a bit. And um, because, well, first of all, I mean, we could talk about this later, but Connor Gallagher was Palace's best player last year, and Chelsea recalled him. So Palace is missing their their main central midfielder, and it really showed on the field. Palace have had a bad, um, you know, c- compressed off season. They said like the first team has only been together for for a week before the match. So on the I was thinking before the match, Palace away is probably the worst possible starting fixture because you're expected to win, but it's probably the hardest possible match that you're expected to win. Um, whereas if you lose to a city or a Liverpool or even a Tottenham, okay, it's not a disaster, but if you lose to a palace, people are asking questions, but they got the result, which is good. And in terms of defensive solidity, they, the commentator mentioned during the match that Saliba has won the center back spot for France's national team. Right. So we're talking about a player of, I mean, that's probably the hardest, the hardest position to win in, in Europe. I mean, in terms of. The, the competition he has been going up against, you know, the likes Varane. of Kempembe's, Riavran, Opamakar. I mean, he's playing. I mean, it's a name Europeans elite, and he and he has to beat them. So with him and Gabriel, it looks like wow, these are two very athletic, very competent um, players, the likes of which we haven't seen. I mean. You, Look at the speed we have in the back. I mean, you remember, you're going to fan for a while. I remember when Wenger brought in Per Mertesacker when he was like 55 years old. I mean, God, look at this. It's, you know, now we have this young, dynamic players who are nonetheless seemingly competent. It does give a, a defensive solidity. The only thing is they have Zinchenko in the left back. And I'm sure you were like impressed with his performance. I think most people were. Yeah. The, the only thing on the ball, he's slick, he's elegant. Um, he gives a different a different dimension. He's much better on the ball than Tierney. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they just replace Jaka with him. That probably seems like it might just work. But mm-hmm. if insofar as they want him there, Palace figured it out. You just hit the ball over his head. He doesn't want to defend. He's not particularly good at defending. He's right. not fast. And so as soon as they, you know, they're like they were saying, Patrick Vieira in his halftime talk, just just hit the ball over his head and we'll just run in behind him. And then we'll see how good Saliba and, and Gabriel actually are if they're able to cover that cover that space. That's the only fragility um, I see in the team. Otherwise, I think it's, um, I think, you know, I think aside from the city, we're seeing a weakened, uh, weakened Chelsea, we're seeing a weakened Liverpool. And so if Arsenal can really play, of course, disappointments temper us from being too optimistic, but on, uh, in terms of just what we're looking at on the pitch, there's a real chance for them, I think, this year. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I sort of, um, especially the defense, which um, like Saliba and Gabriel, um, the thing is that it does sort of take you back, not exactly the same type of players, but the Saul Campbell, Toure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is when the last time they were successful in any genuine sense. Um, so things do look hopeful, but again, I mean, for me, it'll really, one will want to see what happens in the attacking third as well, uh, whether all these players with promise actually come good or, or not. Well, well, time will tell. And 
Um, they have Leicester City this weekend, which Leicester City weakened from the. I mean, they've been they've not they're not at the same level they were three or four years no. ago, but they're still a team which you need to play well to beat them. I mean, it's 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 not it's not playing. Um, it's it's not a free hit by any stretch. So let, let's see no, what happens. No. Um, I, I I like Leicester, and the thing is, you know, they were close to signing Tielemans, who's right. you know Leicester's. He's a really he's a really typical Arsenal player. He's exactly who is someone who would have slotted right into a Wenger team. He's really elegant on the ball. He's what Jaka should be. He's what Jaka because like he can also shoot from long. He, he's not very mobile, but his passing is so elegant. He rarely loses the ball. He always finds a pass. And Arsenal decided to not sign him because he's going to be available for a free um, after this year. And so they decided to stick it out and wait. And I wonder if they're going to you know, regret that decision because $30 million for Tielemans um, seems like it might have been, might have been the move unless they have something else up their sleeve. But I still think not to. I'm not meaning to be mean spirited or rant, but I just see Jaka as a real gaping yeah, hole. He is a, uh, he is a liability. He's been a liability the, for a while. Yeah. Think about like you know this. Not 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 that they're, but they want to be at this level of the European elite. And think about what you have. I mean, we could talk about Chelsea if you want next. I mean, they have they have Kovacic, who's absolutely world class. The guy can't even get on the field because Jorginho is beating him out. They've recalled Connor Gallagher. Hey, go ahead, Ashton. What do you think? Before we before we get into Chelsea, let's just for the sake of variety, let's just cross the channel just a second and yeah, good. go to Liga, which is basically PSG watch. I mean, um, there is no. Uh, it's unfortunate for a league to um, have that set of it, but it is true, and they they're perennial Champions League contenders. I know they played a relatively weak team in Clermont foot, but what you did see is a happier Messi scored two goals and assist. What you also saw is that they managed to win a match very comfortably without Mbappe. Right. Um, I also saw in Gautier a very imposing and commanding manager, which is what right. you need to manage personalities, even Messi. I mean, Neymar, Mbappe, all of them... Yes, but even Messi, I think that dimension of his game where he is a little, I would, well, petulant's not the word, but he does make his views known. And that's not not a dimension of his game that has actually been commented on very much because when you compare it to Ronaldo, who obviously his, his personality is always there for grounded, Messi seems a much quieter person, but Definitely a person to be managed, and and Gaultier seems to have a certain uh, command over the team. I, I heard recently that he's also instructed uh, all the bars and nightclubs in, in 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 Paris to inform him if if any of his teammates, <laughs> any of his players, actually go there. So he's he's banned going to uh-huh. nightclubs, which is probably an important thing to do. For, for discipline uh, when it comes to PSG. But did you see anything um, which you found interesting, not perhaps for the league alone, but do you see something different in PSG when it comes to challenging for you know the big prize, which is the Champions League? I'll probably eat my words because I 
I tend to get predictions wrong inevitably, but this is the first year in probably four or five years when I think there's a gulf in class where PSG is no longer as good as the European leads. This is the first time I, I think that's the case. Um, they're playing, I, th- I mean, it could just be different tactics for different matches, but they're playing five in the back right. with a Sergio Ramos. I don't understand how this man like, <laughs> wriggled his back in. I mean, he looks, he looks bad. He looks old. He just, I mean, I know he's an iconic player who we both like disliked for his, you know, you know, just being on the wrong end of the Classico. But I mean, it just, I cannot believe that this man is featuring in a, in a, in, in a team like this. Um, and so they have five in the back and they have, they, they play with a midfield two. And then, okay, Sarabia was in, but we imagine Mbappe will be in there. But the thing is that they mentioned last, like, Last year, Mbappe. I mean, last year Mbappe played forty plus games, but Messi and Neymar both played just twenty games. I mean, they don't seem to even be able to. It seems like because PSG have the easiest domestic league, they should be able to get their players in the best rhythm playing together. Whereas in the Premier League or La Liga, even they're playing against more difficult teams. So you imagine maybe more injuries will emerge or they'll have to be more squad rotation. But PSG, they, it seems like almost a miracle when they can even get all of their best players together for a Champions League match. Um, it just always looks a bit off the cuff. So anyway, they have, they're playing five in the back and then they, they have this Vitinha, who's supposed to be a very elegant passing player, and they have Verratti. But Vitinha, I mean, this, this man is tiny. He's a tiny little, 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 little Portuguese player. And they have Verratti, who's all a beautiful, beautifully elegant, um, beautifully elegant player, but they they don't seem to to have any combativeness in the middle of the field. They have, I mean, that team is if you're looking at that team from the position of uh, from from the uh, you know you're a midfielder and the other team, you think we're going to absolutely impose ourselves on this team. You're not afraid of Verratti. You're not afraid of Patinia. So it just looks really imbalanced. And so what you're relying on uh, is Mbappe. Luckily, they have Mbappe. Because if they didn't have Mbappe, if he went to Madrid, this is a team in shambles, I think. But right. they have Mbappe. He's like a Haaland situation. He's going to get you 30, 40 goals just on the sheer sheer quality. But then the real wild cards, which you mentioned, Messi and Neymar. Me- Neymar, they got two goals, but it's, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos of like of like Fat Ronaldo or Ronaldinho towards the end of their careers, they're playing like futsal matches against, you know, like local people. And just and, and it, it almost just feels like that. I mean, the quality of player that they have, no disrespect to Claremont, I'm sure if we saw them just on a, on a if we got to see them in person on a, on a pitch, we'd be stunned by all of these players. But even the the goal that the Messi's first goal, if you look at, they play, he plays a one-two with it, with, with, with Neymar. The defender who is supposed to be defending doesn't even follow him, just turns and starts walking back. I mean, it's almost like a recreational league to a certain level. So sure. what I'm trying to say is you have Neymar. He, he He's very skilled, but he's obviously over the hill and to a certain degree. And like you wouldn't see you wouldn't see him getting into a Liverpool, him getting into a City, him getting into even like an Arsenal, I don't think, or, or Chelsea. I mean, he just doesn't do as much as is required in the modern game. So you're requiring on their moments of individual genius. And I think they're just older. I mean, Messi's there, but he doesn't like, okay, he scored the old man bicycle kick, you know, that we were talking about. But it, in terms of, 
I, I just, I, I don't, I, like, it, I guess it depends, like you're saying, on the coach. Can he really be a taskmaster? Is he really going to be getting Neymar to be running wind sprints and watching his diet midweek? Because no one has succeeded in doing this. And keeping a player from going to a nightclub, it should be elementary, <laughs> but it's like, I think you go to Paris. Like, why did Neymar go to Paris? He's in the prime of his career. He's playing with Barcelona. He's... He wants to be the man. He wants to enjoy. He wants to relax. I think, why is Veronti still in Paris? I mean, this man has wasted 10 years. He hasn't won any European trophy. Why? Like, because I think he just enjoys, I don't know anything about personally, but that's my sense. They go to the nightclub, they relax, they, they, they the training is leisurely, they're playing against the teams they're playing aren't particularly good. They just pass around them. Um, they get injured. They sit out for 10 weeks. No, it doesn't matter because they're 40 points ahead in the league. So I can't see them doing much against European this year. Well, um, I guess they haven't done much in the last few years either. So it could probably only go up from here. I mean, or stay there. You'd imagine they'll get out of their group whenever that's decided. Though one or two things is that they haven't strengthened midfield in any substantial sense, which is what I think they would have needed if they're going to play Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi, none of whom track back. So this was the problem last year as well. So you'd need a more uh, responsible and a better midfield, which which I don't think they necessarily have. The only thing I'd say about Neymar is, and it's just been one game, that he certainly seemed to run around a little more, be a little more responsible. Maybe he set the bar so low for himself that exactly. any improvement seems <laughs> seems miraculous. But let's see where that goes. And I think having a professional like Messi around um, helps. The other thing is, like Messi, Neymar has the World Cup as well, right? right. He is in the arguably the best team in the world right now, Brazil. Right. Um, at least from an all from from a holistic comprehensive sense and they certainly have a very good coach so it's possible that that maintains or instills some drive and ethic that we haven't seen before um last year even though they won the league comfortably they didn't do very well against the top four or five teams in france right so right. it was more scoring three hits while the other teams are not able to do that and they eventually win the league. But let's see what happens. Coming to leagues which have not turned out to be as competitive as 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 one would hope, Bayern, first game they win 6-1. And this is against Eintracht who won the UEFA Cup um, just last year, the Europa Cup last year. Doesn't really bode very well for <laughs> having a competitive 11th year either, right? Especially when Borussia lost their star in Holland and none of the teams really seem to have strengthened in any significant sense. So you see anyone actually challenging Bayern's dominance? No, no. Because right. it's what Ryan has mentioned last week. I mean, Bayern has this this formula of buying up the best players from the other teams around them. They right. did it with Götze, you know, years ago, and that started. They have now they have Sabitz, uh, you know, Leipzig's main man. They have Upamecano, who is also Leipzig's main main man. Probably will be sharing the French centre back spot um, with with, with uh, Saliba. You you would guess, and um, they they just they do it in a different way. They don't do it in City's way or or or, or 
Bayern, I mean, or Barca or Madrid's way of just buying up the best from around the world. They tend to just recruit, you know, locally, which is probably an economical decision, but it's, but it, 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 it almost hurts them in a, in like a tragic way in that they're kind of destroying the league in which they're trying to compete, which both hurts the league commercially, I'm sure, but also hurts their their level of because they played against who did they lose uh, to in the Cup Sevilla last year? I mean, the, it, that was a, they finally played against a team that was decent, um, and they weren't ready for the intensity um, at all. So I think Bayern is absolutely absolutely rampant often i mean i watched the match they were absolutely rampant they they play it's the same style with but you know nagelsman has some tweaks but it's 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 a similar style to which klopp um brought in from dortmund it's just absolutely pressing frenetic they allow the midfield to vacate and they just say we're going to outscore you um and they do have a solid back line but it's really we're going to outscore you and they basically just swap. I mean, Muller, I don't know how Muller, he must be on steroids or some German regiment because I don't know how he's still doing it at, at this age. Well, or, or that the league is not really challenging, right? I mean, I don't think he right. survive in other leagues. I mean, at his age. And you yeah. can see what's happened to him in the international stage. He was dropped, then brought right. back for the Euro. So obviously the level 2014 level is not there anymore and maybe that's one of the things to be said of the german league that um you don't really need to be as good to to yeah do well. i don't think so i think mane going there is a stroke of genius for his career because he just looks like he was having so much fun him and serge Gnabry. i mean Gnabry is another one arsenal you know let arsenal go. let go yeah. let go it's i mean Obviously, these things, hindsight is twenty twenty. but this guy, I mean, you just look at him and you see he has it. He absolutely has it in terms of attitude, movement, energy. He can score with both feet. And him and Gnabry are absolutely running right. They have Kimmich, or Kimmich, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, in the, in the center of the pitch. And I think aside from De Bruyne, he might be the technically the most gifted the most gifted ball player in, in, in Europe. I mean, the goal that he scored, I don't know if you saw the freak kick goal that he scored was just outrageous i mean it's absolutely it's it's just he's on a different level technically the question is you know because obviously you know we're snobby and we think towards champions leagues and things like this the question for them is whether they have the competitiveness um the real solidity in, in in the midfield um They've lost Lewandowski also. so They've lost Lewandowski, but yeah, I mean, exactly. Those goals won't hurt them in the Bundesliga. 35, 40 goals last year. (laughs) I think they'll be fine in the Bundesliga. The question is, is, will will this false nine Mane system, you know, work for them? I hope it does because I find Mane to be a really, like, likable figure. He scored. he He was so happy. Everyone was so happy for him. He just seems a very... Man, they're just rampant. They're absolutely rampant. It, I'm sure Nagelsmann is a tactical. He seems like a tactical kind of nightmare. I mean, a tactical kind of madman. But at the end of the day, it seems like the talk is, all right, like just go out there and, and <laughs> outscore them and just run really hard and play fast. I mean, they hit long balls too. And they, they have exactly what Liverpool don't have. They have so much energy all over, all over the pitch. Um, and it's just a frantic, it's really fun to watch. 
but they absolutely. I think that also says something about the German league, right? When you say fun to watch, I mean, it's most of the teams over there, they try and have an attacking style, right? It's a very mm. flowing style. It's not like the varied tactics that you see in different clubs in England, for instance. Some of them are more possession based, some are high pressing, some right. are defensive based on there. Everyone seems to be playing a similar style, but if you have all the best players, then you'll probably do better than the rest, which has happened for the last 10 years now, let's see, um, in, in, in Bayern. The other thing that, because the German league doesn't really set a very high bar, it's hard when, I, I know Lewandowski is extremely disappointed he didn't win the Ballon d'Or last year, but, and even though he broke Gerd Müller's record of 40 goals, which is impressive. But the only thing is achievements in the German league don't really win you the best player, right? And if you compare it to someone who's top scored in his own league and also won a very important international competition, which is the Copa. So he lost out to Messi. And I didn't think it was a surprise, even though a lot of people did. But yeah, achievements in the German league are just that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really put too much um, on them. So... Anyway, he's he's going to Barcelona now. Do you see Madrid won the Super Cup yesterday against Eintracht? Right. They managed to win two 0 Seemed a fairly comfortable performance. They played everyone who they played last year. So it's still <laughs> Casemiro, Cruz, and um, Modric who, who are uh, who are the architects of the midfield. Do you see boss? I, I can't see Atletico. I'm not bringing them into this conversation or Sevilla challenging, but no. do you see boss assuming, which is a big, big if, they will be able to register all their players? Do you see right. Barcelona competing this year for the league? Well, let's, I think we should, we should zoom back out and, and, and talk about Barcelona. <laughs> oh, please. Because they, uh, you know, The Athletic does a lot of really good coverage. So the madness surrounding their financial situation is, it, it it's really like, it, it's mind boggling. It goes beyond the, ter- the typical like excesses of global capital and okay, a nation state owns a team and they're funneling oil money. I mean, this is, this is real insanity around the team. So, okay, in 2017, they sell, they sell Neymar to PSG for 263 million. Um, so only PSG is willing to pay a, <laughs> meet a player like this that much money. And then who do they sign with with the money since then? They signed Coutinho for 150 million. Didn't work out. Then he goes to Bayern, scores scores goals against them when they lose 8-2 in the Champions League. Then they signed Dembele for 140 million dollars to to be the next replacement. He's, I mean, he's a world-class player, but he's essentially being booed off of the field. Um, he's, he's having a, you know, the club is trying to force him to leave last year and he didn't want to go. They signed Griezmann for $130 million and seemingly against the wishes of Messi and, and, um, and Suarez at the time. Like there was almost like almost high school level gossipy sort of thing. They were like excluding him from, you know, the inner, the inner circle. It, it just didn't seem the right fit at all from, from day one. It didn't work out. They sent him back to a letter go this year. They signed De Jong for 95 million. Enough said they never played him 
at the number six. <laughs> I mean, they never played him at, at the holding midfield position. They signed Pjanic from Juventus for $66 million. For whatever reason, it didn't work out at all. He's gone. They signed Malcolm for $45 million. They gave him a one-year trial. They signed Polino for $44 million. They signed Semedo for $39 million. They signed Artur for $34 million. Trincao for $30 million. They signed Aguero. And then that didn't work out. I mean, what have they done with this? Mo- what have they done with this money? So now you're in a position where they're, they're now there's talks where they're going to have to sell off maybe up to 50% of their future television revenues in order to register these players. And they're still making more and more signings. And so there's the talk where it's both the La Liga is the La Liga opponents are upset that there's this double standard, but at the same time, they know they need Barca to be a pinnacle of world football in order for La Liga to be attractive. So like they, they both, they both are, are upset that Barcelona seems to be cheating financially in these ways, but uh, are sort of wink, wink. We know we need Barcelona to be, you know, this ultimate sort of world team or else La Liga may fall into the realm of what's happening in Serie A, what's happening in Bundesliga, where it just can't compete with the Premier League commercially. Okay. So that like that bit of rant aside, they too have, big to fail basically. It's too big to fail. That's right. That's right. But okay, going into the season, they have Ansu Fati, who Barcelona has been telling us for two years now is their main man. He's the best young attacking player. He's an injury problems, but that's going to be over. They've been trying to convince us that he's at this level. They have Dembele, who I just mentioned, they signed for 140 million. They have Memphis Depay, who they made. They did the same fiasco as last year. They made PK, they made Busquets take contract cuts in order to sign this guy. Then whatever, they just don't want to play him. They signed Aubameyang. They brought back Adama Traore from Wolves. They have Gavi. You have all these attacking players. Why did you bring in Rafinha for another huge contract from Leeds? I mean, Rafinha is a good player, but how many attacking players do you need? Why do you bring in Lewandowski? They're talking about they need to sign Bernardo Silva. It seems just like... like Overactive kids on Adderall playing FIFA, like just buy. Oh, let's buy him. Let's buy. Okay, okay, and and okay, we'll sell all. We'll sell fifty percent of revenues. It's okay. It's fine. Well, and you know, it just it just seems like a complete fiasco, and that's one half of what's happening. The other half of what's happening is they brought in Xavi, and they have a beautiful team. If they can get them all registered, I think they have one of the best teams in Europe. I I I, I think. To answer your question in a completely roundabout way, but, but how, how do you how do you actually? I mean, you've mentioned all the players you've mentioned are forwards, and you can right. only play three forwards, right? You, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what I'm to... trying to figure out. So what, 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 what is your sense? Like, why, why is the sense they still have the best team considering their midfield, with or without De Jong? They've not either used him well or they may right. get rid of him, and their defense is terrible. Let's just say they don't have a single <laughs> defender who. Would make the team five years ago. PK, right. Alba, whoever plays in the other position, Umtiti. Yeah, Longley. they've just re-signed, they've re-signed Sergio Roberto for whatever reason. Right. Araujo, Araujo <laughs> is a good prospect, but there's a lot he needs to do in order to improve his game. But he's a good prospect. But and those two, those two aspects of the game, any team, especially Barcelona, that's important, right? right. And. So, so why do you feel that they have a good team, even if they are able to register all these players? I, no, defensively, it's complete shambles. It's complete shambles. I don't understand what they're doing. I don't, I don't know 
But if Jordi Alba is the starting left back, I mean, you see his chugging runs that he's still trying to make. I mean, no, but the thing is, I don't know why they've signed all of these attacking players. It doesn't make any... They brought in back in Adama Traore from Wolves last year. Okay, I mean, this guy, this guy is unplayable. He's absolutely unplayable. Um, he started off, like, on fire. Absolutely. I mean, I, was, I remember watching Barca in the middle of... Of the in the middle of uh, the season last year, their 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 whole attacking system was funnel the ball to Triore because he he's going to beat his defender every time. He's their main man all of a sudden. Then nothing happens, but they they buy Rafinha. They 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 continue to invest. They want to now bring in Bernardo Silva. He'll probably play a slightly more um, uh, defensive position than that. But I don't understand what they're what they're doing. I don't understand looking at the team like you're saying. It seems very clear. What do you need? You need De Jong, who they're trying to get rid of, and you need a central a central defender. You need a left defender. You need outside. You need a right defender. And yet, who are they buying? Lewandowski, way past his prime for a four year contract. He'll be on the team till he's thirty eight. And Rafinha, who of course is a very good player for Leeds, but I can't see him getting in the team over. A Gavi or or an Ansu Fati or a Dembele, who they've already invested hundreds of millions in. So it just seems very strange. But why I'm like optimistic towards the team is because there's just so much quality. Um, if they can get Kessier registered, he's he's a really a really quality. He dominated Serie A last year. They have Pedri, who's only going to improve. And th- it's like you mentioned, maybe in the Premier League, there would be a bit of more bumps in the road. But it seems like La Liga, they've basically bought, Barcelona has basically bought their way to a position of comfort, whereas I, I don't think even the Sevillas and the Villarreals um, or even and Atletico, Valencia's, Atletico. or even Atletico, they just can't compete. It's, I mean, there's just not enough parity. Um, but in it terms seems of, like... I mean, Barcelona comes second, I can accept that. But do you I mean... When you look at Madrid, Madrid have been relatively conservative in the market the last few years because of their own financial troubles, which have now turned. When you look at their defense and their midfield, of course, there's Casemiro, Modric, and Cruz. But you also have Camavinga, Xiaomeni. Right. These are two players who have been signed in the last two years who seem very, very good prospects. Camavinga especially, I think, um, completely changed the dynamic of the game in the two Champions League ties in the quarters and the semis when, when they were struggling. There's Lucas Vasquez, Carvajal, Militao, Nacho, Ferlin Mendy, and Alaba. These are great prospects. I mean, not prospects. These are very, very good players who've proved themselves. They have a certain metal and they're all experienced. They're not that old. They're not like 35 or 36. They're 25 to 32, which is a fairly good age. So I can't see any of, I can't see Barcelona uh, competing. This Well, I can see them competing as far as the league is concerned, but I, I don't think that they're really going to challenge Real Madrid unless, unless something happens which we're not really aware of, right? Like this team, uh, I, which, which either, either Madrid goes down their midfield's not able to compete because, you know, it's, there's a certain year, right, where you will find Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro not being able to do it. Maybe it's this year. If that happens, well, right. 
if it's possible. The other point, to the point that you were making earlier about these signings and how crazy the financial situation is, I think a lot has depended on who is able to buy players, who actually makes these decisions. Now, Bartomeu, the problem is Valverde wasn't making those decisions, right? When he signed Malcolm, Dembele, and um, Dembele, Griezmann, and Coutinho, those were not players that actually fit the system that he was trying to implement. So if Bartomeu signing those players, another person managing. So there's a big, big disjunction, right? So there's a disjunction that's already that that already exists. It becomes worse when the next coach actually comes in and, and he doesn't really know what to do with those players. The only coach who's actually done them some good over the last few years is surprisingly Komen, who's actually got in the youth. He wasn't a very good coach in terms of style and so on, but any improvements that have come into this team over the last three or four years are Pedri, Gabi, Araujo, all these right. players are ones that Komen actually brought up, right? Even, well, Farty was there when Valverde came in, but he's been giving them chances, right? Because he's actually said, okay, the old guard need to be replaced gradually, and he did come in with a certain tough attitude. Interesting to see whether Barcelona have anything to offer, but but I, I doubt it. Yeah, it's an interesting point you're making about the dis the disjuncture between the people that are managing the club on the pitch and the people that are managing the club in terms of the decisions. And Arsene Wenger got a lot of criticism towards the end of his career because they thought he was taking on too much. He was basically trying to run the club in terms of financials, in terms of the players signing. And in, on the pitch, and obviously it wasn't working in the same way that it was working for him five years ago, but I was always really sympathetic toward him because he was trying, he was always, he, he saw this philosophical contradiction. He was just saying, look, you can't have one person buying all the players and then another person, they have to either work really closely in tandem or it has to just be one person operating in both roles. And he had the energy and the enthusiasm and the passion and frankly, just the love for the club to take it all on for himself. And that's why I was always really upset, you know, when when he was badmouthed by I thought that was a really that was a difficult time to be an Arsenal supporter when they were really trying to force Wenger out. Because as much as you you're entitled to your own opinion, I mean to to not allow the man the dignity and grace to to go out after everything he's done for you when there's clearly this rotten core in the middle of the club that he's trying to manage. He's not the rotten core. He's trying to manage this rotten core um, by making very shrewd signings like a Nasri or a Rosicki. I mean, players that are not European elites like Pep can just sign. So in terms of this disjuncture, you know, we'll see how much it affects Barcelona going forward because you'd imagine Xavi was reluctant to take the job. I remember before they signed Coman, they tried to sign Xavi and Xavi was still in Saudi Arabia or Qatar. And he was saying, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. I, I don't see that I, I need more time. And I think that was a signal to, to someone like me, like, look, the club is in complete disarray. He's not, <laughs> he's not going to, you know, he, these players, they have one moment. You're a Xavi. You don't get to manage Barcelona two or three times. You come in once your good name only lasts two or three months in the modern era. 
And so he was saying, look, the club is, so there must be some sort of agreement he, he's, he's with, he's come to with Laporta where he's saying, look, I want these players. Um, and I, I want, I, maybe he wanted Lewandowski. It's, it's hard to really know, but I, when you're asking why I think there's a coherence to Barcelona's team, I, I, it's because I see Xavi and we might just idolize him as a player, but it just seems like he's a very thoughtful person. Whereas Pirlo, it's a very similar player on the pitch, one of the most elegant, successful players. He went to Juventus to manage. It seemed rash. It seemed random. He would seem like he was just thrown into the mix. There was no managerial experience beforehand, and it completely didn't work out, and he was canned. Whereas Javi strikes me as a much more intentional, um, thoughtful person. So I just, I'm just imagining behind the scenes that he's, he's working things out, and I wouldn't be surprised if they if they even if they, even if they win La Liga because like you're saying there's a, there's a more of a coherence to 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 Real Madrid's team and they have Kamavinga coming in to replace Cruz or, or Casemiro whichever one or just to rotate but um it's it's not it's not a Real Madrid of, of five years ago when they had Messi and and Bale and, and Benzema closer to his prime no. so I think La Liga is is wide open and it's a more forgiving league. So I think maybe by the time the Champions League rolls around, uh, assuming you know Busquets can still walk without crutches and this sort of thing, you imagine that there might be something, you know, uh, you know, something to trouble, trouble European elites, even if not really be at the absolute pinnacle. Well, we'll see what's going to happen. I mean, they start off against Vallecano this weekend, and Real Madrid are away to Almeria. Uh, you imagine both of them would win those opening games. Ashton, let me ask you a question before. Sorry, I want to ask you a question because with Messi, there's talk, you know, this last couple of years that they wanted to re-sign Messi. I don't know if it's just gossip rag talk. Do you see Messi as someone who's been a longtime fan? Do you see him still at the pinnacle of the game? Oh, absolutely not. He barely runs and I think he's admitted that. <laughs> um, no, after the finalissima, which he... He did very well against that one-off match against Italy, which they won, and he he was uh, man of the match. He said that, you know, already it is said that I don't run around too much and it's going to only become worse. So I think he understands his limitations. If it weren't for the lack in his footballing resume of a World Cup, you'd probably see him in the MLS already, or at least in... A, in I think that's what drives both Ronaldo and him to still... Um, to compete and keep themselves in shape. It's almost certain that they both are going to retire after this World Cup. So he's definitely not at the pinnacle of his game. Even the last years in Barcelona, the last, not the last years, but the last year, let's just say, um, you could see that his role was more in front the last time, right. right? There was no tracking back. There was no, and it was just, you stand around in front um, waiting which he does even now for Argentina and PSG, which is why you can have only one player in your team doing that. You can't have him and Suarez doing it. So right. even though Suarez did very well in Atletico, it was very good for Barcelona when he left. So no, he's not at the peak of his game. And I think, yes, I mean, even if they re-sign him next year, it's going to be more as a talisman, more as a person to instill a certain discipline. I don't think he is going to expect um, to be the main man, and if, if that happens, they're going to really have a big problem. I don't think that will yeah. happen either. 
Right. So should we should we talk about yeah, Chelsea? Um, I think the last thing um, is so Chelsea and Tottenham they both won their opening games. Uh, I didn't. Chelsea wasn't a very convincing performance. No. Um, and Everton, I think, still has the problems that it had last year, and they've lost a couple of players as well, Richarlison, um, uh, especially. Also. Tottenham, I think the only, I mean, they didn't look great. They won 4-1 and it was a comeback victory. But I think the good thing is that they managed to get four goals, even though one was an own goal, without Kane or Son scoring. So right. that, that's a good, um, uh, but that, that, that's sort of a good improvement, right? Otherwise, mm. your, all your goals coming in. They're playing each other this weekend. So that, mm. that should be really interesting. I mean, if anyone's to dislodge, uh, Liverpool or City from the number two position. It's right. probably one of these. So, what what do you reckon? What what are your thoughts going into that match and what you saw over the weekend? I thought Chelsea. I mean, there's obviously been a fiasco since since uh, this invasion of Ukraine. I mean, it's and then the the way it's rippled down to Chelsea's financials. I mean, it's obviously it's been a. I mean, they just got rid of uh, Werner. He went back to Germany. Just probably, I mean, the man could hardly kick a ball. It was a strange, strange signing in, 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 the, in the first place. But it just seems there's something slightly incoherent about the squad. They're trying to lay Havertz in this false nine or just a true nine, whereas he seems much more of like a Mesut Ozil, very delicate player. He doesn't really want to run in behind, um, doesn't really want to be competing, you know, physically. Um, the thing that was immediately noticeable to me. I don't know what you thought, but Raheem Sterling is so much like the quality at Manchester city is so high. And then you have Sterling comes over and he's just, to me, he's noticeably, he's the most energetic. He's the most quality player uh, like immediately. And I, you saw something similar with, with Jesus. And really it's, it's like, it's like Ryan said, these other teams picking Manchester city scraps, but the quality of these players is so high. And, and they had to play in such a systematic way in City when they're given a little bit more freedom. It's just the quality. I mean, they're unbelievable. They're really unbelievable players. I mean, I think Chelsea, they play, they play their five in the back. They have Jorginho and Conte as the holding two. I mean, even though Jorginho is a little, they're both getting up there in age. I still see that as basically as good as it gets in terms of, in terms of uh, you know, two central midfielders, a, a partnership. The thing is, where are the goals going to come from? And they really struggled. It just looks completely random when they get into the final third. Like when teams sit back against them, they just they don't seem to have an ability to, to pick the lock. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm very surprised Kovacic can't get in. Can't get in the central midfield. I mean, I think he's really one of the best central midfielders in the world. I'm surprised they recalled Gallagher um, to sit on to sit on the bench all year. It, it seemed a strange move, but I don't I don't forecast much from from Chelsea. Tuchel also in the past has a real reputation, like Conte, of being a really irritable kind of man. And you could see it whenever the camera cuts to him. It just he's just foaming at the mouth, yelling at whoever is next to him. I mean that that type of thing. I'm sure gets gets old um, as the season wears down. And in terms of Tottenham, we've mentioned it. I mean they they're. they're they have Kane, they have Son, they have a very, very uh, organized manager and organized system. But where will the goals come from? Uh, if not those two, it happened this week, but it's against weak opposition. I see them 
I see them um, as a as a as a stale team, and you're very um, you know um, noticeably never mentioning Arsenal. You know, you're mentioning Chelsea and Tottenham, and I think this is the first year in many years. Whereas Arsenal always lets me down, so I'm prepared to be let down. I don't know if they have the same emotional attachment as others, but. I just feel like they're a better team. I, I just think that Arsenal playing at their best beats either of those teams. And the first week only confirmed that uh, only confirmed that for me. And in terms of, we'll see what they have against each other. It seems like a fun match on paper, but you wouldn't be surprised if it's just a defensive slogfest. It's two back fives kind of squaring off against one another. <laughs> yeah, that's what I imagine as well. Um... <laughs> Well, this is a good weekend to look forward to. Um, obviously, Chelsea, Tottenham being the highlight of the weekend, I suppose, in terms of big teams right. playing each other. And we'll see what happens with Arsenal and Leicester. Um, well, that's it for today. We'll come back next week with Mark, myself, and hopefully Rehan. See you next time.